Well, good morning, church. Did you see that? If you didn't see it, then pretend, uh, then never mind. But if you did see it, then it's about my fourth trip this morning. Some of you <laughs> have already been laughing at me, so it plays well into what we're going to do. Uh, all right, Romans chapter 4. I want to read this for us. Uh, this morning before we start walking through it together. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter 4. We are going to finish the chapter in this series through the the book of Romans. Uh, If you don't have one, uh, there should be a black hardcover Bible near you. I'm guessing around page 885-ish. We're going to be in Romans chapter 4. Listen to God's Word this morning. What Paul writes, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 4, verse 13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust or no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That uh, That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Would you pray once more with me this morning? Father, we bow before you. And we want what we just sang to be true, that it is well with our soul. There is nothing more important than, than that. So God, I pray that if there is a person who's gathered with us this morning in whom soul is not well with you, God, that you would soften their heart to hear these truths, that you would grant them saving faith, and by grace they would receive the gift of your salvation so that they could stand in right standing before you, that they can say now and forevermore it is well with our soul. And for those of us whom already have repented of our sins and believed in Christ and can say it is well with our soul, May we remember the promise on which that statement rests. Not only the promise, may we remember the person in whom that promise rests. And so help us this morning. Help me this morning. Uh, God, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. I ask, we ask together in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, Romans uh, 4 is a beautiful chapter really answering some of those questions that we looked at uh, a couple weeks ago in Romans chapter 3, verse 27 through 31, where Paul is asking some of these questions over and over and, and, and then giving some of their answers and their responses later in chapter 4. And this chapter, this section of chapter 4 really answers that question. Then do we overthrow the law by this faith? In verse 31, chapter 3, to which Paul says, by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. And so here he's going to show the right place uh, by which the law should reside, um, showing us that our righteousness before God, our right standing before God, does not come through our works. It's not something that we do on our own, lest we should be able to boast before God. Um, That was the earlier part in chapter 4. Then right after that, it doesn't come through um, any distinction that God has made um, regarding Jew or Gentile, didn't come through their uh, Jewish works of circumcision. Um, And here we're going to see that it doesn't come through the law. This promise of righteousness, this promise of salvation, it doesn't come through the law. It it comes through a promise. And I wonder if uh, any of you have ever been as frustrated as I have been uh, at some point in your life when you have realized the warranty or the guarantee that someone made to you doesn't actually live up to the warranty or the guarantee you thought it was going to be. Hence the, the terms limited warranty, right? And then you, they tell you up front, oh, you're going to get this, that, and the other. If this happens, no worries. We've got you covered. We will take care of this, only to find out when this, that, or the other happens, they are running in the exact opposite direction and pointing you to some fine print that you didn't happen to read or this, that, or the other. And and then all of a sudden, you find out your warranty is uh, not so good because of the person uh, who made it. Uh, Limited warranties, guarantees that you may get. You've been frustrated like I have at at the car dealership at the tire store, at the electronic place, with the craftsman who came to do some work at your house, whatever it may be, uh, you've been there, uh, done that. You know what I'm talking about. We realize that the, the warranty, the guarantee is only as good as the, the person giving it. Uh, it's only as good as the one in whom the promise was originally made. And we're going to find that to be even more so true in this passage this morning, uh, specifically regarding the promise of salvation and the one who made it and, and why it's trustworthy and is a, a good source, a good guarantee for us. So this morning, I, I would encourage you, at least take notes uh, of what the Lord puts on your heart, maybe some scriptures that you could go and look at in more detail. Um, but if you are taking notes, this is the first thing I want us to note together this morning from chapter 4, starting in verse 13, is that the promise of God does not come through the law. The promise of God does not come through the law. That is the the promise of ultimately salvation, the promise of righteousness, that what we talked about a few weeks ago, that that ability to have a right standing with God, to be able to stand before God uh, in in right standing. That does not come through the law. Look in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, for the promise... And note that that word is going to be reiterated over and over in this section of Scripture. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null. And the promise is void, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. This 
excuse me, this promise in 4.13 that Paul is making mention of here is that promise of uh, Genesis, the, the promise of God to Abraham that we see played out in that Abrahamic covenant, that, that promise in Genesis chapter 15. We'll see another mention of that uh, promise in Genesis chapter 17 a little bit later, but that promise that Abraham, though he had no kids, would have a child, would have descendants, and as God told him to uh, to go outside and to look up at the stars and, and to realize, based on this promise of God, that he would have as many descendants, though he had none at the old age that he was at that time, he would have as many descendants as the stars of the sky. And Abraham heard that promise of God, believed that promise of God. It wasn't just the descendants, though. There was another um, blessing, if you will, in that promise of God, and that was that he would receive this land. In this promise of God, there was blessing, there was descendants, and there was land, uh, specifically the land of Canaan, what we call, for a reason, the promised land, right? So he had this land of Canaan, but did you see in your text, it didn't say that uh, Abraham would be the heir of the land of Canaan. What did it say in verse 13? That he would be heir of the world. And that this promise didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In fact, it, it couldn't have come through the law. Do you know why? Because the law hadn't been given yet. The law in Hebrews says that the law didn't come for 430 years later. The Mosaic Law, the, the Ten Commandments. So how could the promise that God made there be based on something that hadn't been given yet uh, and would, would be given 430 years later? The, the fact that Abraham would be heir of or would have descendants and would inherit the land of Canaan was not based on the law but came through faith in the promise. And and it wasn't, the understanding wasn't simply just for the land of Canaan. This is interesting to me. I, 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 something that I definitely learned this week, but how this promise uh, of the land that Abraham would receive, if you begin to think about it and you think, okay, Abraham's going to have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, um, as that begins to play itself out and begins to multiply, the land of Canaan obviously isn't going to be room enough for this type of, of promise. This promise is bigger than just the land of Canaan ever from the very beginning. And this is, this is neat to consider that, that Abraham, whom the promise was given to, though on its surface it looks like you're going to have a child and you're going to get some land and be blessed. Abraham understood it as something way bigger. This isn't just about my blood relatives. This isn't just about my land, my property that I'm going to have. This is about uh, all of those who by faith believe in this one true and living God. This is about a promise that's going to encompass the whole world. People that live in Laos, like we just prayed for, are a part of that promise that Abraham gave. And Abraham understood that. Abraham knew that it didn't come through the law, but that it came through uh, the promise through faith. And not only this world, but Abraham understood that it, that it was this promise of not only that would include the whole earth, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all languages, but, but it was not just an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom. This is what it was looking forward to. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, for he, that is Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. For he was looking forward to the city. This is what Abraham did. He had this promise from God and by faith was looking forward, had an eternal perspective, was not considering earth his home, but was considering heaven his home. And so he lived in accordance with those promises in his best moments. In his worst, he, like us, 
fell short of that. But in his best moments, he uh, walked by faith, trusting in God's promises, and had his eyes on eternity because of the person whom made the promises. I wonder if, if you were to consider your own life, is that where your eye is? Is your eye on eternity? Is your eye on the heavenly things, or is your eye so much on the earthly things and on the temporal things? We have been wrapped up. If you are a Christian here this morning, you've been wrapped up into a promise that was given millennia before you were ever born. And and you've been welcomed into that and are part of something so much bigger than that, so much bigger than even this world. Are you resting in those promises and living for an eternal kingdom or are you living for your own kingdom with your own name on it? This promise did not come through the law. Paul makes abundantly clear. He, he says that it comes through the righteousness that, that comes through faith. Hebrews eleven sixteen speaks about Abraham again looking forward. But as it is, they, that is Abraham and Sarah, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They desired a better country, a heavenly one. Is that true of you? Do you desire a better country? Do you desire a a heavenly home? Do you have that assurance that that it is yours? And, And where is that assurance? Is it in you? Or is it in the one who's promised it to you, who has made a way for it to be yours? This is important for us to to figure out for ourselves as individuals, but it's also important for us to figure out as a local church. Uh, Whether you're a part of the Fields Church or part of this new church epic, are you and your church going to rest yourselves on the promises of God? Or are you going to rest yourselves on whatever's happening in the world, and whatever the circumstances detail for us. We have to be a a group of people as individual bodies of Christ that are remaining steadfast and, and, and living by faith in the promises of God, not believing that our salvation comes through works or comes through the law, for when we fail, then we've lost what we thought we at once had. But no, it comes through a promise. In fact, if you were to live um, in accordance with works, or if you did believe that salvation came through the law, when you fall short of the law, as it says at the end of verse 14, um, then the promise is void. The your, your faith is null. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, then faith doesn't matter. The promise is wiped out. It's void. The, the warranty, the guarantee that, that God has made, if you think that it comes through works and it comes through the law, then you're essentially voiding the warranty that's been offered to you in God through Christ. Let's not do that with our practical application in our lives that we're living each and every day. Uh, We move on then into verse 16 where having realized that this promise does not come through the law, we have to ask ourselves, okay, then then where does it come from? And Paul's already hinted at it, that it's, it's righteousness by faith, but he goes on to explain that even more. And he has some beautiful language right here that's worth repeating in our notes, and that is that this guarantee of God depends on faith and rests on grace. This guarantee of God depends on faith and it rests on grace. Now just think about those English words for a second and and, and think about the image that they may draw up for you if you are unable to uh, walk on your own and, and someone is helping you get from one place to another and your arm is around them. You're depending upon them as you're walking with that person or resting on something when you're sitting on that chair that you're sitting on 
right now. You're resting on it, secure, steadfast, all of, all of those things. And this is where Paul is trying to point his readers to. This is where the Holy Spirit is trying to point us to that our righteousness before God, our salvation, our promise of heaven does not come through the law, but it depends on faith and it rests on grace. Look in verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be, what's the word? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. That, that word is emphatic in, in the original languages that Paul is writing here. And when I, I started looking up and pressing into that word, it, it comes from the, the word for foot. Uh, and then expanded on that, added on to that would be uh, a, a secure footing, a, a solid ground in which a, a foot is firmly planted in that. Unlike being planted on the sand, your foot being planted on the sand or your um, foot being planted on, on something that's wobbly or teetering back and forth. This guarantee describes something that is solid and secure, steadfast, immovable, um, assure, all of those kinds of things. And that's where we find this promise. And, and, and this promise then that depends on faith and rests on grace finds its, its power. It finds its meaning. It, it finds its hope not in the strength of our faith in the promise. It finds its strength in the one who made the promise. This is what we have to realize. A warranty, a guarantee that you may get from somewhere else is only as good as the person that makes it. It doesn't depend any bit on how much you believe it's going to work for you. Oh, I believe, I believe they're going to stand by their word. I believe they're going to fulfill this. I believe that even though this broke, this, they're going to do right and do this. As much as you believe it and show up and find that they're not standing behind their word uh, proves that it's not in how much you believe or the strength of your belief. It's in the one who made the promise. And the one who made this promise, this promise of salvation, this promise of heaven, this promise of eternal life is steadfast, is immovable, is sure, is unshakable. Just think about, just read through the Psalms, read through the Old Testament and see how many times the Lord is described as steadfast and that His love towards you is steadfast, continuing, never-ending, over overflowing on and on and on. This is, this is the promise that we have. It depends on faith. It rests on grace. It is a guarantee, and it's dependent upon the one who made it. But it's given, it says, not only to the adherent of the law, that is, if you could actually adhere to all of the law. Yeah, all of these promises are available to you if you're able to fulfill and obey every bit of the law, every single jot and tittle. If you're able to do it all, this promise is for you. But knowing, as Paul has already proved in Romans chapter 3, that no one is able to do that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then he goes the, the step further and says, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, and here Paul is quoting another part of the promise from Genesis, this one in Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, where God promised to Abraham that I have made you the father of many nations. And so the, we... we we get to realize in this text that that promise to Abraham was not just for Abraham. And as we begin to tease that out a little bit, it's not even for Abraham's biological descendants. It's for Abraham's spiritual descendants, those who 
have the same faith as Abraham had. Those who have the same God that Abraham had. The promise that God made to Abraham is the same promise that he makes to all who believe in him and his way of salvation and his way of righteousness. And so this is good news because I'm not a Jew. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing you're not either. And so if we thought that our hope was in our biological descent from Abraham, um, that would be one thing. But those of us who don't have that heritage, we find hope that this is true of any who put their faith and hope in him. Because the promise, even when it was first given of God to Abraham, was that he would make him the father of many nations. That in that promise, the entire world was in view. Because God, as the reason why we always pray for the nations as a church on Sunday mornings, is because God, from the very beginning, had all nations on his heart. And he made Abraham the father of many nations, of all of those in whatever nation they find themselves would put their faith in his God, and that they would rest and depend on his promises, depend on faith and rest on grace, and realize that that promise is guaranteed in who he is, not in the strength of our own faith. And this is proven even more that it's, that it's in him that the the promise finds its guarantee, not in us and our own strength, when Paul goes on to say in uh, the rest of verse 17, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, and then he mentions two things on which we can um, see evidence and, and reasons why we can trust the promise that God has made. This God in whom Abraham believed, it says, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So Abraham believed God's promises because he knew God was able to raise dead things to life and was able to call things into existence that had never been before. Now you begin to think about that for a second. And if you know your Bible, at least Genesis 1 through 15, there's not a real resurrection story there. So how does Abraham know that God can bring dead things to life? How how does he know that God is able to do that, therefore God is trustworthy, and I'll I'll believe his promises in that? Uh, Well, this likely could come from the fact that Uh, He knows the creation story. He knows what we know from Genesis chapter 2 in verse 7 where God took dust of the ground and made man, but Adam was just lying there, just dead, just no life in him, and he breathed life into him. He brought from the dead life of, of Adam. He likely understood that if God could, as Paul uses the language here, bring those things to exist that haven't existed before, which is the very same language of Genesis 1, that God said, let there be light, and there was light. There was no light before. He says, let there be light, and all of a sudden light exists. Um, We know that God is able to call things into existence that haven't existed before. All of creation, everywhere Abraham looked out, he knew that God was able to speak and these things come about, including when he looked at his own body, including when he looked at his wife, including when he looked at the entire world. If God could do that, then he knows that God could give life to any who, who were dead. And it goes on even later in the passage, Abraham describes himself, or or Paul describes Abraham essentially as good as dead because he's nearly a hundred years old, and yet he brings life from him in that. Abraham understands. Now, that's Abraham, okay, millennia ago. 
How much more so, Christian, should you trust in every promise that the Lord has made because of the fact that God has raised not only individuals from the dead, but his very own son from the dead. The most clear, substantial evidence uh, of the gospel that we have. Undeniable proof that Christ was raised from the dead. If God did that for Jesus and raised Jesus from the dead, do, do you not think that he will make good on his promises? Each and every one of his promises. You look out at all of creation. You look at your spouse. You look at your kids. You look at uh, the world around you, the beauty in creation. You look at uh, everything that is out there. Those things that stir your affections for the Lord. Realizing that those things were not until God called them into existence. If God can do that with just a word, do you not think that he can fulfill all of his promises, all of his words? And, and even in addition to that, do you realize that our salvation is based on the fact that he will fulfill all of his promises or else all of them are, are wiped out? If he doesn't fulfill one promise that he made in the Old Testament or the New Testament, then he's untrustworthy. Then he's a liar. But that's not the case with God. And Abraham understands that. We who live on this side of history, we who live on this side of the cross 2,000 years later, more than anyone, more than Abraham, more than, more than even Paul, we should be able to trust in God's promises as well. We should allow our salvation to depend on faith. We should trust in the promise that our righteousness before God rests on grace. We should be able to um, believe that the promise that God made is guaranteed because of who He is, not because of the, the strength of our faith, not because of how strong we are or how, how much faith uh, that we have. This is what the Lord has, has done for us in showing who he is, able to raise the dead to life and able to call the things that did not exist into existence. Uh, as a church, we have uh, a regular Bible reading plan. And, and church, if you are on that regular Bible reading plan, we are reading through the, the book of Isaiah we're reading through these chapters, we're, we're enjoying uh, its teaching and, and understanding. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 41, in, in this reading plan that, that we're going through, I, I was taken back by this um, part of the passage in Isaiah chapter 41 in verse 8. And if God has fulfilled so many of his promises in the past to Abraham, to all of those in the Old Testament, if he's fulfilled his promises even more so in Christ and to all of his people, even in the New Testament, um, realize there's a whole lot more promises that have not been fulfilled yet. And yet we can trust the Lord that he will fulfill them, that he will make good on his promises because he's fulfilled all of these old ones. And therefore, we can rest in him. In Isaiah 41, in verse 8, it says this, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, listen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth, all those nations, and called from its furthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Then what does he say? Uh, essentially, based on the fact that you were not my people and I have made you my people, based on the fact that I promised this would happen, and I've made it happen, what does he say? Fear not, for I am with you. 
fear not, Christian, for he is with you. Even with you in a more special way. Since Christ has died, buried, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and sent his spirit to reside in all who have repented and believed. That, that promise is true for you in a way that it wasn't for I, uh, those living during Isaiah's day. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Why? For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Realize that your hope in those promises is not based on your strength or is based on how much faith you have. It's based on the one who made the promise to you. He who has fulfilled all of his promises. He who has made you his people. He who will strengthen you, will help you, will uphold you with his righteous right hand. No matter what circumstances you're facing, whether you're planting a church, whether you're trying to love your spouse well, whether you're starting a, a new job, whether you're struggling with health issues, whether you're, you've lost your job, whatever it may be, we have promises of an eternal home. We have promises of salvation uh, that are founded in Christ, that are secure because of who the Lord is. And He'll strengthen us to be able to persevere through all of those, those trials if we'll believe in them and rest in them. So, these promises, this promise of salvation, it does not come through the law. This promise of salvation, this promise and guarantee of righteousness and this eternal home depend on faith. They rest on grace. And, and what we're going to see in this last part is that that faith, that faith in God's promises first, again, take, if you're taking notes, note this, that this faith in God's promises produces first an unwavering hope. An unwavering hope. Look in verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope. Now, if you were writing that sentence in your English class, your te literature teacher would probably get all over you for, uh, for writing it in that way. But this is Paul. Uh, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it has a compounded measure here. Both of those put together like that is saying that the hope that he has is unlike anything else. That in hope he believed against all other hopes, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Which is, again, another quote from the promise that God made in Genesis 15. Look at how it describes Abraham in verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief or no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. No unbelief or no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. He did not weaken in his faith. When he looked around, when he heard the promise of God, you're going to have as many children as there are as the stars of the sky. He didn't look at his gray hair and, and think, <laughs> are you sure you got the right person? Are, are you... Do you, is there somebody else you mean to be making this promise to? Because do you realize I'm, I'm nearly 100 here? He didn't even look at his wife, who had not been able to have children up to that point, and herself had plenty of gray hair, and was unable to have, uh, or didn't believe that they were unable to have children. So he didn't look at the horizontal level of, of things and then begin to doubt or then begin to weaken at faith. Where did he keep his eyes? He kept his eyes on the Lord. 
He, he looked to the Lord from whence comes his help. He looked to the promises of God. He didn't look at the obstacles that were before him. And Christian, this is important for us as well. Because believe me, there will be obstacles. There will be obstacles in planning a church. There will be obstacles in your job this week or your lack of job. There will be obstacles in your relationships, whether they be in your home or outside of your home. There will be obstacles someday regarding your health. There will be obstacles in this, that, or the other. Financial obstacles. They're going to come. Trials and tribulations will come. We live in a broken, fallen world. They're going to come. But Abraham had something better to rest on, something better to lean on, something better to depend on than just the things of this world. He had the creator and sustainer of everyone and of everything, the entire earth. He had the Lord who he knew his word was good. He had God making these promises who could bring the dead to life and could call things into existence that didn't exist before. And so if God could do that, then Abraham stepped back and said, look, I, I don't know how you're going to do what you just said in my life and in her life. Because horizontally, this ain't possible. I've tried lots of times for many years. It hasn't happened. Nevertheless, I trust you, Lord. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm not going to weaken in my faith. I'm going to trust in your promises. I'm going to trust what you say more than what things look like right here. I'm not going to waver in my hope. You say that's going to happen? I've been wanting that to happen for decades. I'm going to hope. I'm going to have an unwavering hope that what you say is true. I'm going to walk by faith, believing it. I'm going to be obedient as I can. I'm going to do my part as best as I can until you show me that it, that it comes to fruition. When you have a God like that, a big view of a big God like that, it is going to produce in you a faith that has unwavering hope. You're going to be able to walk into whatever obstacles the world, Satan, anybody else throws at you because you have the Lord is the one you're depending upon. You have the Lord is the one whom you're resting upon. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13 speaks of this, this very thing. The certainty of God's promise. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, is that you? Patiently waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promise. He obtained the promise. For, the, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all of their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Christian, you have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before you. The hope of salvation. The hope of eternal life. The hope of a home in heaven. The hope of joy now and forevermore. We have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus, and I would say Jesus alone, has gone as the forerunner on our behalf 
having become a high priest forever. We have this hope before us, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So when I said and prayed earlier that that we would be able to say, it is well with my soul, the only way we're able to say that is if Jesus is your anchor, is if Christ is the one in whom you've put your hope in, if the Lord and His promises are what you're resting and depending upon. That's the only way your soul is going to be at rest. It's the only way your, your soul is going to be anchored to the Lord and be sure and steadfast. This is the, the hope that we have. It's unwavering because of the one whom we've put our faith in, not because of our faith. If, if it's dependent upon our faith, it's pretty wavering, is it not? Up and down, big and little, left and right, tossed to and fro. But if it's the Lord, then we can count on Him. We can trust in Him. But not only unwavering hope, it produces total confidence. Total confidence. Back in Romans chapter 4, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Verse 21, fully convinced with total conviction, fully convinced that God was able to do what He promised. Fully convinced that those promises that God makes, when we realize who He is and we put our faith and trust in Him, and in Him alone. And our salvation rests on grace, depends on faith. It produces full confidence, total conviction, overflowing confidence in our salvation, in our place in heaven, in our position as sons and daughters of Christ. Total, total confidence, total conviction. Uh, of those things. This is, this is what it, this produces in us. And so I ask you to consider for a moment, does that describe your faith? Does your, could your faith be described to others or even maybe more honestly by others as one of unwavering hope and total confidence in the Lord to walk through whatever the Lord may have for you. If not, it may be because still in your mind and maybe more so in your heart, your salvation and your place in heaven is still residing in some of your own strength. And you still think that you've got to be able to do this, that, or the other to be able to earn the Lord's affection and for Him to make His promises good for you. But that's not what the promises to Abraham were. None of the promises were, do this, and then I'll do this for you. They're unilateral promises. God saying, I will do this for you, therefore believe in me. So we can choose. You can choose. You, you want to live in accordance with the law, or do you want to live in accordance with grace? You can't have both. And so often we say with our minds, yes, I believe that I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died, was buried, and he rose from the dead on the third day. And then we leave this place as a church and we go back out there and we rely on our own strength. And when we fall, we doubt our salvation. We doubt whether or not the Lord's love towards us and his promise to love us is steadfast and immovable, as he says. It's because in our heart, um, though we have been declared righteous, the Lord is still working out that unrighteousness in us. The Lord is still helping us to get rid of those areas of doubt. And the more we look to him and the more we rest on his promises, the more that will be the case. So consider your own heart this morning. Consider your hope 
Is it unwavering or is it wavering? Consider your confidence in the Lord and your assurance of salvation. Is it total and full or is it lacking and empty? It can be full. It can be total. Your hope of salvation and a place in heaven in your name written in the Lamb's book of life and your hope in that could be unwavering through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul closes with in verse 20, uh, 23. He says, but the word, um, let me go to 22. He says, that is why his faith, Abraham's faith, was said in Genesis 15, verse 6, that it was counted to him as righteous, as righteousness, that Abraham was able to stand right before God because of his faith, not because of his works. But look at what Paul says. He adds this addendum for, for his readers in the first century. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but Paul says, for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who God raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul is appealing to his readers that day when they were received this letter from Paul on that parchment paper as it had been sent over seas and over land and they get this letter and they're gathered together to be able to read this letter aloud. He, when he gets to this point, he, he almost has this aside and says, but this wasn't just written for Abraham back then. This was written for us right now. He's saying in the first century, if it, that, that those Romans, if they would believe in the God whom Abraham believed, And specifically, in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sent to fulfill all of those promises. Believe in Him, and you too will be counted righteous before God through faith. Not through the law, not according to works, not anything like that, but by faith, by grace as a gift that you simply receive in. Paul is saying, this is written for your sake in the first century. But I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us, it wasn't even just written for their sake. It wasn't just for Abraham's time. It wasn't even just for Paul's day in history. This is for us too. This is for all of us here gathered together in this gym on Sunday morning. It's for all of those in your neighborhood that you're going to go back home to. It's for all of your coworkers you'll go see maybe tomorrow morning. It's for uh, everyone that knocks on your door in a, in a couple weeks and says trick or treat. It's for all of your family members you'll be gathering together with on Thanksgiving in, a, in another month. It's for all. The, these things that were written down about Abraham were not just for Paul. And these things that were written down by Paul were not just for the Romans, they're for us. So that you too can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who Paul so succinctly summarizes the gospel there in verse 25. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, That is, sent from heaven to earth by God the Father, willingly leaving his place there, coming down and taking on the flesh of man to live the life that no man could live, the perfect sinless life, and to take the punishment, the death that we all deserve when he willingly went to the cross was nailed to the cross and suffocated and died and shed his blood for the sins of all who would believe. And was taken down, buried in the tomb, and yet on the third day raised to life. That's the gospel right there. As succinctly as Paul can get it. 
Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. Why can we trust the promises of God that he is preparing a place for all of those who have repented and believed in him? Because he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that you couldn't live and to die the death that you deserve, who was buried and raised from the dead. If Jesus died and was raised from the dead, then we have a God who will stand behind his guarantee. More so than any car dealership, more so than any electronics company, more so than any plumber that you have come to your house and give you a 30-day guarantee. We have God himself who sent his one and only son to die for us and raised him from the dead. And if he's done that, Paul will go on in a few chapters in Romans chapter 8. And in verse 32, he said, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has given his one and only son to secure promise and guarantee your salvation, but he's also promised to graciously give you everything you need in this life to perfectly obey him and to do what he's called you to do. Not to do what he's called me to do, and he hasn't given me everything that I need to do what he's called you to do, but he's given you everything you need to by faith be obedient to him. And whatever you face today, this week, this next year, the Lord has promised it. He's got an eternal home that he's promised is being prepared for you at this very moment. And we can trust and rest on those promises because he's made good on all of his other promises. Let that produce in you unwavering hope and total confidence. And if it does... It'll look radically different from the faith of the world. It'll look radically different from, your life will look radically different from even those who call themselves Christians, but put not their faith in the Lord and put their faith in, their, in the law and put their faith in their own works. Your life will look radically different and it'll give you the opportunity when they come to you and say, why do you have such unwavering hope? How do you have such total confidence to give your money, your hard-earned money away, sacrificially, to, to the church, to mission. Why do you give so much of your time? How, how are you so happy all the time? How are you full of joy all the time? And it's in that moment that you get to point them to the gospel. Jesus was delivered up. He was raised from the dead. God made good on his promises. He's securing a place for me. I have all that I need in him. Do you? And we get to share that good news with them. So Christian, rest, depend, lean in on the promises of God this week. When you fall short, when you face obstacles like being 100 years old or barren, or worse than that or less than that, lean in and trust. And if you can't say, that it is well with your soul this morning, right now. Know that between you and the Lord and simple repentance of sin and faith and trusting in Christ alone for your, for your salvation, know that your place is secure in heaven and that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And spend the rest of your life seeking to know and understand the promises of the Lord forevermore. Let's pray. Father, would you help us do just that? Let us not depend on ourselves. Let us not depend on our works. Let us not depend on anything this earth has to offer. Let us not be torn down or torn asunder 
because of the things of this world. But Lord, let us be challenged. Let us be encouraged. Let us be convicted even of areas of our life that we have not rested on the promises of God, depended on faith, rested on grace. God, I pray that you would save, even here this morning, someone who it was not well with their soul when they came in, and yet they leave knowing that it is well with their soul because Jesus is the secure and steadfast anchor of their soul. God, I pray for those of us as Christians who may know with our mind but fail um, to live in our heart and in our actions in accordance with that truth. God, that you would help us to remember the promises, to remember that you've made good on those promises and that you will make good on the promises in the future, that we might have unwavering hope and total confidence in you. God help us, I pray. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's sing one closing song together as a song of worship and praise to him and who he is for what he's done.